What does it mean to be a Christian? Is it getting into heaven? Is it having our sins forgiven? Is it um, coming to church? Is it doing good things instead of bad things? Is it um, having a good command of the scriptures? Is it believing the right things? Is it giving our money? Is it serving? Is it loving? There is a sense in which the answer to every one of those questions is yes, 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 yes. But I think as important as those things are, what if those things are not, or just part of it, but not the heart of it? What if there is something deeper? What if there is something more than what we might typically talk about? And if that's the case, I think it's connected to what, to what Jesus says to Peter and Andrew and James and John around their fishing boats. And he says to them, come follow me. I think if you boil down the faith, if you boil down what it means to be a Christian, I think it's going to in some way or another come back to following Jesus. And I think that's Mark's point as he begins the gospel. Mark says at the very beginning, he said, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the story. This is, this is the, the idea of, of who Jesus is. I'm going to share that with you. And the very first public thing that happens is he says to some guys, come follow me. And you get a sense that the rest of the story is this is what it means to follow Jesus. And the very first story is about Jesus going into the synagogue. And that story is wrapped around the idea of the authority of Jesus. You will notice that when G, that it says to us, beginning in verse um, 21, they go to the, the Capernaum, they go to the Sabbath, the synagogue, and they begin to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. There is something about the teaching of Jesus that is different from what they, uh, they, what they typically hear in the synagogue. They might have been hearing truth when they were in the synagogue. They were teaching the scriptures. But there is something about the way Jesus teaches that expresses it differently. When people come to the synagogue and they hear the scriptures, it's all, it's the truth. But there is something about the way Jesus teaches, something about the authority in the way Jesus teaches that brings a new mindset to the people about those scriptures, about who God is, about God connected to their lives. There is something deeper about that, something they're not always getting when they come to synagogue. There are some who have theories that, that one, of the, one of the reasons that, that there is sort of a, a underlying lack of authority in the, in the typical teaching, one reason might be because anybody could stand up and say something. And you know, when that happens, sometimes you hear good things and sometimes you don't. And the other thing is, often uh, the rabbis would teach by just quoting other rabbis and, and just, just saying, well, this is one person's opinion and this is one person's idea, but we're not really sure. When I heard that, it reminded me of a cartoon I saw years ago 
of a pastor sitting in his office talking to probably the elder of uh, the chair of the elders. And then they're having a serious conversation. And on the wall, a pastor sitting on his desk. And on the wall behind the pastor's desk, there's a big graph, big chart on the wall. And at the top it says church attendance. And, and you see this graph and it's just doing this. All the way down to almost nothing. And you get the sense that the conversation they're having is, what's going on? Why is our church attendance plummeting? And the, the elder says to the pastor, well, you know, I don't have any theological education. I don't know a lot about pastoral ministry and preaching and things. But maybe it'd be better if you didn't end all of your sermons by saying, but then again, what do I know? <laughs> I think he's probably right. Bad idea. And, and I don't know, maybe there's that kind of sense in, in, in the synagogue as the people come. At least that's maybe what they feel. And something about what Jesus does, something about the way he connects the Old Testament to their lives, the scriptures to their lives, about how he talks about God in ways that they have not heard, or at least not in that way before. And there's something authoritative about that. But that's not all there is. Because in the middle of Jesus' teaching, a guy stands up, as Mark says, has an evil spirit, and begins to confront Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, in the, maybe in our lingo, shut up. Come out of him. And the spirit does. And, with, and the people are amazed at the authority of Jesus, not just to teach, but to deal with demons, to deal with evil. They live with evil all the time, just like we do. And here is this man who has great teaching, great authority, but he has even more authority to do something about the things that enslave them. And the bondage of their lives. No wonder, Mark says, they were amazed. They're amazed that not only at the teaching of Jesus that doesn't sound like anything they've heard before. But they're also amazed at his power. His power to to command evil, to command demons. And they do whatever he says. No wonder they're astounded and amazed at that. You get the sense that even here early on in Jesus' ministry, they're starting to get a little bit of what Jesus is saying. They're engaging with Jesus. They're listening to Jesus. There is a connection with Jesus. And I think the evil one knows that. And so his strategy is to try to break that. So the guy stands up. If as I'm talking this morning, one of you stood up and started yelling at me, I think that would probably get people's attention. I think that would probably break whatever I was trying to say. It, it, would, it would do that. And I think that's what the evil one is trying to do. To break the spirit that Jesus has created in that place. The, 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 the sensitivity to what he's saying and to the presence of the Holy Spirit there. And Satan is always trying to break what God is doing. How many times have you been involved in a, in a precious time of prayer and something pops into your mind and takes you on a rabbit trail away from what you were doing? 
or you're reading the scriptures and you get caught up in some little triviality instead of the essence of the scripture that you're reading. Or you're in worship and your mind wanders off onto things and, and you realize I haven't even been singing, I haven't been paying attention. The evil one is continually trying to do that and he does that here. What's fascinating to me is that what the spirit, what the man says, what the spirit says is the truth. It looks as if I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And there's a part of me that thinks, well, you might want to let that go. He's, he's right. He's bearing witness to who Jesus is. And then I realize, do, does Jesus really want the demons to be his primary witness? I mean, if you were on trial in the 1940s, would you want your character witness to be Al Capone? Probably not. And I don't think Jesus is looking for the demons to be his primary witness. But maybe the bigger thing here is that it's too soon. His ministry is just beginning. And for them to declare this truth that is so big and so difficult for them to grasp is too quick. They need some more time to process what Jesus does, what Jesus teaches, how Jesus reveals himself. And it strikes me that one of the ways in which the evil one continues to seduce us is by getting us to go fast when God is calling us to go slow. To get convincing us to take shortcuts, to take the easy way when God is leading us through the difficult, hard way. Isn't that the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness? Satan says to him, look, we can get to the same end a whole lot faster. People can see who you are, and I've got a plan for that, and they'll see it immediately. And man, you won't believe the kind of responses you will get. And Jesus says, that's not the plan. The evil one is continually trying to convince us to take shortcuts. You don't need to spend that much time in prayer and studying the scriptures. Just go read what somebody else says. You don't need to give yourself to study. Just go look up something on the internet. You don't need to work it that hard at writing that paper. Just find somebody to help you. Do it for you. It, it, it's continually trying to move us to a shortcut. And God is rarely interested in shortcuts. Because the journey is part of the process. The journey is part of the process of shaping us into the image of God, of learning to trust Him, of facing difficulties and believing that He is who He says He is. And really, as this confrontation takes place in the synagogue, it is a struggle for authority. Who's going to be in control here? Is Jesus going to submit to the authority of the evil one? Or is the evil one going to submit to the authority of Jesus? And Mark tells us the evil one submits because there is no authority on all the earth like Jesus. He is Lord. Period. And that is the essence of what it means to follow him. To proclaim with our mouths, to proclaim with our attitudes, to proclaim with our lives, Jesus is Lord. That's the essence of the gospel. That's the essence of the kingdom. That's the essence of the church. Jesus is Lord.
I don't know if you saw this or not, but about a year ago, there was this crisis in England, uh, a restaurant crisis. What ended up happening is uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken had to close their restaurants for about a week. Almost 900 restaurants in England and Ireland, and they had to shut them down for about a week. And people were irate about it. Now, you may say, good grief, it's just Kentucky Fried Chicken. Well, and that's true. But Kentucky Fried Chicken came into, for open first in 1965, about 10 years before McDonald's came to England. And they are extremely popular. Some would say the most popular fast food restaurant chain in all of England. And people, I mean, I, I went online and I was reading various things about this. And man, people want their chicken. I mean, people are irate about not getting their chicken. One guy said, we are so popular that people come in here and buy our gravy for their Christmas dinner. I mean, people love chicken. They love Kentucky Fried Chicken. And so they were upset that it closed down. And all these, you know, of course, Twitter was blowing up about it. And and all these things going on. And Kentucky Fried Chicken was trying to explain it and, and explaining the issue. And the, it, it was not a matter of, you know, sanitary or code violations. Everything was fine. It, it wasn't their workforce was a problem. They had people who, were, who wanted to come to work and they were all ready to come to work. And it wasn't a cash flow problem. You know, they weren't going bankrupt. The problem was they changed delivery companies. And for about a week, what happened is they ran out of chicken. Now, if you're called Kentucky Fried Chicken and you don't have chicken, it doesn't matter how much mashed potatoes and gravy you have or coleslaw or mac and cheese or corn or anything else. If you don't have chicken and your name's Kentucky Fried Chicken, you can't open your doors. The reason for your existence no longer is present. And people got upset about it. And as I read that, I thought to myself, When the church no longer proclaims and believes that Jesus is Lord, we are no longer the church. That's the essence of who we are. And if Christians say, I'm a a Christian, but I don't believe, I don't proclaim with my words and my life that Jesus is Lord, then I have to question whether we really understand what it means to be a Christian. Because to be a Christian is to follow Jesus. And to follow Jesus is to proclaim and to declare that he is Lord, period. That everything about my life is rooted in Jesus is Lord. The decisions I make, Jesus is Lord. Who I am, Jesus is Lord. My attitudes, Jesus is Lord. What I do with my money, Jesus is Lord. What I do with my sexuality, Jesus is Lord. What I do with the power that's available to me, Jesus is Lord. Everything comes back to Jesus is Lord. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And that's what Mark is trying to help us understand and will continue to reveal as his gospel proceeds. Jesus is Lord. Not just because he is a great teacher, though he is, but because all power and authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. And to live as a Christian is to surrender to him. To submit to him. 
That's the gospel. We might be one of the few countries, rather, I would say maybe the Western world, some of the few places in the world where, where you can actually say, I'm a Christian, and not really mean it. And it doesn't make any difference, at least on the surface. To say, I, I, I'm a Christian, but I live how I want to. I live half-heartedly for Christ. Because in so many places of the world, to say, I'm a Christian, sometimes is a death warrant. Often is a total transformation of how people see you and view you and treat you. We have a hard time grasping that. When I was in seminary at Asbury, there in Wilmore, Kentucky, David Siemens was the pastor of the large Methodist church there. And his father was a, a retired missionary in India. He, his nickname was Tata. That's what people called him. And he spent the majority of his life in India. And uh, he was a great evangelist, a great discipler. And... Uh, I heard someone tell a story about him that he said that one day a Hindu merchant came to him and said, Tata, I'd like to become a Christian. He said, all right, let's talk about that. So they sat down for the next few hours. They talked about what it meant to be a Christian. And when he was convinced that this merchant understood what it meant to be a Christian and, and, and he, he prayed and he opened his heart to Christ, he said, now you need to be baptized. He said, yes, he said, I'd like to be baptized this Sunday in church. And Tata Siemens thought a moment, he said, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that's where you ought to be baptized. And the man said, really, where should I be baptized? He said, well, you're a merchant. You're, you're a pretty popular merchant. And, you know, Tuesday is market day. And on Tuesday, thousands of people from all the surrounding villages come into town for market day. And you know there's that pool that's right outside the front of your store there in the center of the marketplace... Next Tuesday, let's get in that pool and I'll baptize you there on market day. He said, the guy's eyes got real big. He said, man, if you do that, I, I won't be able to eat. He said, well, why not? He said, well, then everybody will know I'm a Christian and they won't trade with me. And Tata said, well, do you want to hide it? He said, well, no, I don't want to hide it. He said, well, then let's just get it out in the open right off the bat so everybody knows right from the beginning. He said, but if, if we do that, he said, it'll kill me. And Tata said, that's right. But that's the moment when Jesus will really begin to live in you too. And we hear that story from our Western perspective. And there's a little bit of us that says, well, that's surely Jesus isn't asking that of us, is he? Surely it's not all of that, is it? Jesus says, follow me. Who is Lord of your life? Who's Lord of my life? Doesn't mean that, that following him means that it doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. Doesn't mean we're always going to get it. But it's our want to. It's the desire of our heart. We are continually surrendering and releasing things 
to him. And that journey of following him is going to take us through some hills and valleys and some twists and turns and some difficult experiences. And in the middle of that, we are going to continually be confronted with the reality, do we believe Jesus is Lord or not? But here's the thing about the authority of Jesus. It's very different from all the other authorities that we continually bump up against in our world, in our lives. Because most of the authorities in our lives are looking for a way to, to use us and to manipulate us. And we deal with the government all the time, right? And the authority of the government. And there's great things about the government. But sometimes we wonder if it's always in our best interest. And one of the things that Satan does is to, is to create an atmosphere in us that says, I'm going to question authority. And sometimes it's good. We should question authority. But sometimes we shouldn't. Sometimes we ought to be trusting authority. But what it does is it undermines our ability to do that until we cross that line. And now we say, I'm not sure I can entrust the authority of Jesus. But what we forget is that while all the other authorities are human and they're, they're fallible and sometimes they make mistakes and sometimes they don't always lead us in the right direction. But Jesus' authority is rooted in his love. It's rooted in his goodness. Paul says God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. And we can trust him. And to follow Jesus is to lead us right to the source of of love and life and joy and grace and everything that deep down inside in those quiet moments when we really truly are examining ourselves, in those moments we find what we desperately seek, what we were created for, what we try all these other things to experience. If we were to paraphrase John 3.16, for the God who is Lord of all became one of us and took on human flesh. And those who follow him will find the source of everything you've ever dreamed in the deepest places of your existence. The call of the gospel is Jesus is Lord. Do we believe that or not? That's wonderful that the people are amazed at Jesus, but amazement can only take you so far. Fear can only take you so far. Guilt can only take you so far. Surrendering to God, following Jesus, that's what he's asking of us. And I suspect that for most of us, maybe there's one thing right now that the Spirit might be putting His finger on us and saying, I need that from you. If we're going to have the kind of relationship that, that I want and I think you want, then will you give me that? Well, I, can you let me be Lord of your life about that? Let's start there. Father, as we ponder your spirit in this moment of silence,
Give us ears to hear. Thank you for your goodness and faithfulness. Thank you that Jesus is Lord. Give us grace. Fill us with the desire to want to follow him. Amen.